listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor David Sinclair. Today's scripture reading comes from Isaiah 65, verses 17 through 25. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy. The work of their hands, they shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. For they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Thank you, Rayanne. Well, it's time to renew your hope, Life Church. There's several things in life that require every so often that we renew them, right? Every September, I got to renew the tags on my cars. It's just that time of year. Every February, I have to renew my fishing license. Forgot to do that one year. That was a really bad year. Um, we, sometimes we have to renew our memberships to clubs and, and subscriptions, Costco and Sam's Club. And these are all of some importance you could say, but the church over the centuries has said it's incredibly important, it's critical that Christians each year renew their hope, our hope in our incredibly bright future. Now, if you've been paying attention um, to the church calendar, we're coming up on Advent again, and Advent is the season that the church has said, hey, among other things, during this time, we are going to renew our hope in our future. And so it's not Advent yet. We're two weeks away. But of course, as John mentioned, next week is Partnership Sunday, so we're not going to be in the lectionary. So today is actually the last sermon that we have from our year of belong. Isn't that crazy? We've been in this sermon series for a year now, walking with the church calendar, and we come to the end of it. And what better way to end than the way that we started last Advent, looking at our hope that we have in Jesus. Now, We actually have a special Advent series for you this year that's been designed by Nathan. It's called the Not-So-Baby Jesus. Um, So that's not meant to to point you to Talladega Nights or any movies like that, but it is the Not-So-Baby Jesus uh, series that we're going to be doing. And today, I just want to start getting our hearts ready for this Advent season. Um, I think Advent requires a lot of internal, uh, um, internal work, a lot of thought, a lot of preparation goes into it as we look forward to this time. Um, And Advent just means coming or arrival. So it's the time when we remember that Christ came to earth as a baby, was born in Bethlehem, 
And it's the time that we look forward to his second coming, his second arrival, when he comes as our forever king to put everything right and establish justice and peace on the earth. So Advent for me has become a real precious time of year. It's a time when I renew my hope, and I hope that it becomes that for you as well. Now, what do we mean when we talk about hope? Well, the simple way to think about it is just what are you looking forward to? What are you looking forward to in the future? And I'm guessing if we went around the room and we talked especially to our students in here, um, most of you would say, hey, I'm looking forward to the holidays, to breaks, right? Uh, You get Thanksgiving break coming up, Christmas break, some time with family, maybe some travel time, some really good food, and of course the presents. It's great to look forward to. It's an awesome time of year. Uh, Maybe some of you are looking forward to uh, starting a new job. Or, or maybe um, a new project at work, or some of you are looking forward to uh, the start of a sports season or a sp- an extracurricular activity at school, whatever it is, we all kind of have short-term hopes, but then we have long-term hopes as well, things that are a bit farther out there on the horizon, but are a big part of our hope nonetheless. You know, we say things like, when I grow up, or when I retire, or when I get to this stage in my career, I'm going to do this, and I want to have this lifestyle and enjoy these activities and accomplish these things. These are all big pieces of human hope, and so they're really important to us. They're, they're how we see the future. Hope is just a confident expectation of future good. That's why when somebody says, hey, I've lost all hope, what they mean is they, they can't see anything bright up ahead in the future. There's nothing to look forward to. And, you know, studies have actually shown that hope is critical for your survival. It's not just kind of an ancillary detail in your life. It's actually critical for you to have something that you're hoping for because our hopes drive us as humans, right? They give us a buoyancy to our lives. Um, They give us resiliency and determination through difficulties. Our hopes keep us going. I think we all got to see a good example of this in 2008 in the stock market crash. Um, I'll, I'll never forget how many people were taking their own lives during that time. You remember that? Just, just the flood of people that were, it was, it was all over the news, lots and lots of people taking their lives in 2008 as the stock market just had some of its worst days in a long time as people saw their fortunes just dwindle almost overnight. And it's interesting, the greatest jump in suicide was men age 45 to 64. So guys that were pretty well along in their careers and thought, hey, there's no recovering from this. Especially guys that were kind of on the doorstep of retirement said, my future's gone. With their retirement was all their hope, all their future plans were all wrapped up in their investments. And so when those went to half or less than that, they were like, I got nothing to look forward to. I'm out. I'm done. Our hopes are really important. We all need them. And I find that people are really struggling to be hoping, or hoping for anything, especially here in the U.S. Uh, there was a study done in the McCourtney Institute's the Mood of the Nation poll conducted last year, November and December. And listen to this. They found out of 1,200 adults sampled, 55% described themselves as extremely worried about our nation compared to just 18% who said they were hopeful. So there's no question that we're struggling to find something to be hopeful in these days. Our nation's divided, the government's a mess, inflation is crazy, war doesn't quit, and maybe some of these things have cast a dark shadow over your hope as well. Maybe your future isn't looking as bright. Well, take heart. Advent's almost here. It's time to renew your hope. And boy, it's hard to find a better place in the Bible to go to than our passage today from Isaiah 65. 
just by way of background, Isaiah 65 is the second to last chapter in the book of Isaiah. So it's this long prophetic book that starts off with God warning the people of Israel, saying, look, if you don't turn from your idolatry and your sin, I'm going to give you over. The nation of Babylon is going to come in and overtake you and carry you off into exile. And of course, the people don't listen and the prophecy comes true. But God didn't give up on his covenant people, even in the midst of exile. He still planned to bless the whole world through them, and so he offered them poems of hope, even in the midst of exile. He told them through Isaiah, there's going to be a servant, right? Isaiah 53, a servant who would come, who would suffer on their behalf, who would take their sins upon him, and it was promised that this servant would die on, their, on the people's behalf, and that he would rise again, that he would rule forever the throne of David and bring about peace and justice. Of course, we look back at this and we say, oh, that's obviously about Jesus. That's all fulfilled in Jesus. But now we come to this incredible part of the book right at the end of the prophecy. And it's speaking to the people of Israel after they've come home from exile. So part of its meaning is right after Israel had come home from exile, they're rebuilding their country. But a huge part of it also is for us pointing forward to the restoration of all things when Christ comes back as our great and cosmic king to put everything right. That's what this passage is talking about, the new heavens and the new earth. And that's why the church fathers, some of them called Isaiah the fifth gospel, because it just from beginning to end, it so well encapsulates everything that Christians have hoped for. And for most of you, as you listen to the scripture being read this morning, it reminded you of another famous passage at the end of our Bibles in Revelation chapter 21. Listen to how familiar this is. This is Revelation 21. Compare this to what Rayanne just read. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. So you can hear that same language in our passage from Isaiah 65 of the new heavens and new earth. Both of these passages are huge parts of the Christian hope. So we're going to look at five astonishing promises or reversals, really, that we see here in Isaiah 65 and what that means for our hope today, 2022. But first, quickly, let's note the setting for our new hope here which is the new heavens, the new earth. And again, the language is repeated in Revelation there. And we talk about this quite a bit here at Life Church because over the centuries, there have been some pretty bad ideas promoted about the hope that Christians have, and specifically all around the idea of going to heaven. Um, and typically when Christians talk about going to heaven, what we say is we, we're, we're going to up somewhere in the clouds somewhere with the angels to play harps and sing songs or what have you. Um, and Where's my book here? I have a little quote I got to read. This is from C.S. Lewis in his chapter on hope. And I like how he puts it because a lot of us make comments like this, but he says this, there's no need to be worried about facetious people who try to make the Christian hope of heaven ridiculous by saying they do not want to spend eternity playing harps. Maybe you've heard that before. Lots of people say that. Oh, I don't want to do, I don't want to do that. He says the answer to such people is that if they cannot understand books written for grown-ups, they should not talk about them. All the scriptural imagery, harps, crowns, gold, etc., is, of course, a merely symbolic attempt to express the inexpressible. 
Musical instruments are mentioned because for many people, music is the thing known in this present life which most strongly suggests ecstasy and infinity. Crowns are mentioned to suggest the fact that those who are united with God in eternity share his splendor and power and joy. Gold is mentioned to suggest the timelessness of heaven and the preciousness of it. People who take these symbols literally might as well think that when Christ told us to be like doves, he meant that we were to lay eggs. So obviously, Lewis being pretty tongue-in-cheek there, but it's true. The imagery the Bible gives us about our, our eternal home is often trying to express the inexpressible. It's using lots of vivid imagery there. But I also find that when the Bible's talking about our eternal home, the new kingdom to come, it's awfully earthly in its descriptions. You ever notice that? There's nothing, there's nothing in the Bible to suggest that our eternal home is a bodiless existence floating around in the clouds somewhere. Like we are not going to hover six inches above the ground. We are not going to be in some eternal mind meld. Um, you're, you're not just going to float randomly somewhere. And I, I find that really comforting because I have a hard time looking forward to an eternity like that. I don't know about you, but I just think when I was a kid, I was like, I'm not looking forward to, to whatever Christians talk about. That doesn't sound good to me. But what Christians are and have hoped for for 2,000 years is a physical existence on a renewed earth. The new heavens, the new earth, like we're talking about here, where we dance and laugh and eat and work and play and hug. That is the future that awaits you. So if you've not had a lot of hope in the Christian eternity, it's probably because you got it wrong. It's probably because you didn't realize that, hey, you've adopted some Greek idea that the body is bad and the spirit is good. And so when you die, your spirit just floats off somewhere and that's it. And that sounds terrible. And I agree with you. And so does the Bible right? Our eternal hope is in the new heavens, the new earth. Now, that's our setting. Let's look at these five stunning reversals in this new world that we will inherit. First of all, verses 18 and 19, weeping turns to rejoicing. Oh, I love this. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. So have you ever had a moment where you're really down in the dumps and then you got some great news and it just instantly flipped from weeping to rejoicing? Or maybe you've had the converse of that. Like that's way more likely in our lives, honestly, where you're in some, some place of just incredible joy and happiness and you get that phone call and your heart sinks into the pit of your stomach because it's just that bad of news. You've had that before. That's way more likely in the broken world that we live in more often than not our fleeting moments of rejoicing are quickly turned to weeping. But in the new heavens and the new earth, it's going to be just the opposite. Our weeping is going to be turned to rejoicing. And look, Isaiah prophesies that we're going to rejoice and be glad, not just for a little while, forever. And maybe you've said to yourself or thought this at some point, like you ever notice, catch yourself noticing, hey, I'm really happy right now. Like in a happy moment, you're like, wow, I am so happy. Uh, this is just such a joyful moment. I, and then you do the fatal thing. You say, I just need to figure out how to make this last. Because go ahead and try, right? That's the worst thing you can do. Now you've ruined it. That, that makes the moments all the more fleeting, right? You can go ahead and try to hold on to that moment at your kid's birthday party or that beautiful dinner with a close friend or that perfectly sunny spring day. But the more you try to hold on to it, the more fleeting it is. Why? Well, our best moments, they come and go. The best we can do is try to enjoy them while they last. And that's why we make statements like, well, hey, nothing lasts forever. Well, 
it was good while it lasted. But it's actually the fact that our joyful times don't last, the fact that our joyful relationships don't last, that there's always a goodbye at the end of them, it's actually a huge bummer to our hearts. Because we want joy, but we want it to last. And the threat of it getting interrupted by sadness and sorrow is always there. We want great relationships, but we want them to last. And Isaiah is saying, God is saying through Isaiah, in the new heavens and the earth, new earth that I'm creating, your rejoicing, your, rejoicing, your gladness is not going to just be there for a little while. It's never going to be interrupted by sadness again. It's going to last forever. That's something to renew your hope in, Life Church. That's the first thing. From weeping to rejoicing we go. But secondly, death turns to life. Look at verse 20. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old, and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. You know, I think about this with um, little Selah, too. This passage, like, God's going to do away with early death. He's going to take us from death to long life. Now, we have to remember that this prophecy had a double meaning, or it has a double meaning. It had a meaning for the people of Israel as they were coming home out of exile. They're rebuilding their nation. They're rebuilding the capital city of Jerusalem. But it also has major significance pointing to God's final restoration of all things when Jesus returns. So here God's promising to the nation of Israel, you're not going to have early death in your infants anymore. People are going to live long lives. That's a blessing of the Lord. Life is always a blessing from the giver of life. Amen? Like he is the God of life. Death is never part of his plan. But he's also pointing forward to when death is going to be no more, like we read in Revelation 21, when a 100-year-old person is going to be like an infant. Now, we have some people in our 70s and 80s in here. You're going to be like the newborns, you know? In the, in the new kingdom, it'll be like, oh, you are just born yesterday, right? That's, that's the way that it's going to be. Death is something that our God hates and never intended for his people. So as Christians, we rejoice that God, that Jesus has conquered death. He's taken the sting out of it for us. So now we don't grieve like those who have no hope. We also look forward to the day when he comes and deals death its final blow, when he removes it and takes it away forever. And just imagine, you know, you're going to celebrate your one millionth birthday someday. Isn't that crazy to think about? Um, Dawson is celebrating his fifth birthday tomorrow, and we've been looking forward to this literally for half a year. And it's so hard to communicate how long it is to a four-year-old. Like, he's like, so how long is it to my birthday? Well, like four months. So that means tomorrow? No, that's not tomorrow. Like next week? No, not next week. And then we start talking about it. Like, it's like, you know, 65 sleeps away. And I don't know how to communicate it. And even yesterday, he's like, is it my birthday tomorrow? I was like, no, but I told you on Monday when you go back to school, then it's your birthday. We still can't get it right. But my thing is, I think when, when we're in the new heavens and the new earth, we're going to celebrate each birthday like we're a five-year-old with that much joy, that much excitement, except for there's never going to be that nagging thought that I'm a year older, I'm a year closer to death, right? No threat of death. It'll all be removed. Million, two million, three million, every birthday, just amazing. That's what's coming for you. It's time to renew our hope life, church. Thirdly, We see futility turns to fruitful work, verses 21 through 23. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build in another inhabit. They shall not plant in another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be. And my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. For they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. 
So the Old Testament in several places includes some futility curses imposed on God's people because of their sinfulness. Listen to this. Places like Deuteronomy, Amos, Micah, Zephaniah, they all say, You shall betroth the wife, and another man shall lie with her. You shall build a house, and you shall not dwell, there with, dwell therein. You shall plant a vineyard, and shall not use its fruit. So those are futility curses, but now we see the opposite of that. The opposite of the futility curse, there's a blessing that those who labor are going to enjoy the fruits of their work. Now, let me just ask you, how many of you get frustrated with your job or with your schoolwork? Students, like it just doesn't behave. It doesn't work out right. You have conflict. You have stress. You have issues. Well, you know what's worse than your job, whatever it is, is being a slave, right? Because then you literally get to enjoy nothing about your work. And that's the situation that Israel was coming out of. You know, that was part of the curse that God had imposed on his rebellious people. They were carried off into exile into Babylon, where they had to work as slaves. So literally everything they put their hands to, none of it came back around to benefit them. It always went to benefiting other people. And obviously, we probably don't know what this is like, but there's still a meaning for us in that today. The new heavens, the new earth promise to us that we're still going to work. Maybe that's a disappointment for some of you. But actually, the joy is going to be restored to your work. You were designed to work, but it's, all the futility is going to be taken out of it. All the frustration is going to be taken out of it. I happen to love to work, but there's still times where it's very frustrating, where I can't just quite seem to get that problem fixed, where I can't get that thing to work out right. Can you imagine all the stress and the strain with your coworkers has turned to perfect harmony? Can you imagine everything you put your hand to, it turns to gold. It turns out splendid. That's what your work is going to be like in the new earth. To the glory of your great king, you're going to produce incredible things for God. That's good news. That's something to renew our hope in. So futility turns to fruitful work in the new kingdom. But then fourthly, communication with God turns from closed to open. Look at verse 24. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. And this is an undoing of another curse as well. Um, Isaiah chapter 1, God had actually said to Israel, I'm so tired of you, I'm going to stop listening. I'm going to stop listening to your prayers. Listen to this. In verse 14 of chapter 1, he said, I hate your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts. They have become a burden to me. I am wary of bearing them. So when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though you multiply prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are covered with blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil from your deeds from my sight. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Reprove the ruthless. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. So perhaps this is the worst curse of all that God had given to Israel. Like he's saying, look, I'm not going to listen to you anymore. You've been so rebellious. You've turned your back on me so many times. And, And then you go about these religious feasts and festivals and praying to me, like when you're clearly disobeying everything that I've said to do and not to do, right? You're oppressing the orphan and the widow. And I've given you all these clear instructions. And then you just come to me with lip service praying. He's like, I'm not listening. I'm done listening to you. Fine, you can have your life without me. I'm through with you. That's basically what God's saying here. And it's a terrifying reality and one that Israel certainly felt keenly. But here God's saying, that's not going to be true any longer. I'm going to listen to you again. I'm going to answer you and answer you speedily. So he's renewing his covenant promises with Israel. But this also shines forth a bright light into our future as well when our communion with God is completely restored. Now, um, if you've got a good friend and you've ever had a big fight, or if you're married, you've definitely had several big fights, 
you know what this is like. Um, when communication is disrupted, the relationship's not in the right spot, right? If your communication is on and you're communicating openly with one another, the relationship is restored. And that's what God's saying here. He's saying our communication is going to be, again, like it was with Adam and Eve, walking with God and talking with him in the cool of the day. That's going to be restored. Therefore, our relationship will be put back right. It'll be perfect, just as it was intended to be. You'll be with the one that you were created for. That's what God is saying here. That's something to renew our hope in, Life Church. That's what's coming for you. And then finally, verse 25, violence turns to peace in all creation. It says, the wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountains, says the Lord. So it's hard to imagine any more beautiful imagery here saying the creation's going to be restored and it's going to be at peace with one another. Instead of violence, there's going to be peace in the creation, in us, in the whole world. And obviously this part of the prophecy wouldn't come to fruition in Israel's time, but this is what we're headed for. And this is what Christina talked to us about. Actually, I think, Eden, it was you that said you wanted a baby cheetah. So if you're an animal lover in here, this is saying to you, like, this is going to be possible someday right? Because all the threats are going to be removed. That's what I'm saying. The, the food of the serpent's going to be dust. Like, nothing's going to harm each other. Nothing's going to kill. Nothing's going to... Can you imagine a world like that, right? No, and everything in creation put back right. No more hurricanes. No more earthquakes. No more disasters. But no more murder. No more war. No more taking of life. Things will be put back the way they were supposed to be. Everything will move from violence to peace in all creation, in human hearts and in the animal kingdom as well. That's really, really something for us to look forward to, especially during this time in the world. Now, I don't know where this message finds you today. Maybe you're here and you're, you're not a Christian. You say, okay, Pastor Dave, this sounds great, but how do I know this hope is true, right? I mean, fairy tales sound great. The only problem is they're not true. Well, I would say to you, I agree. Sometimes this sounds too good to be true, but the Christian hope is completely bound up in an actual historical person, a person who is without question the most influential human being who's ever lived, right? So all of our hope is resting on this man, Jesus of Nazareth. And the book of 1 Peter says, we've been born into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So our hope lives because he lives, as Christians, we have hope that he died for our sins, that he rose again from the dead on the third day to conquer Satan's sin and death for us. And it's true because the tomb is empty. We believe it's true because the tomb is empty. Jesus came out of the tomb on the third day. He defeated death, and this risen Lord is the one who promises that he'll bring about this future for us as well. So if you can trust him to raise from the dead, is there anything that he can't do? He's the one that invites you to come and put your hope in him today, and we would love to pray with you. There will be people up front to minister to you today. For those of us who are Christians today, like I said, this is kind of just the primer for our Advent series, so I'm wondering, can you just open your heart to the Holy Spirit to say, Holy Spirit, what have I begun to put my hope in? Like, I just find I get off on this every year, and that's probably why the church has said, look, you need to examine this each and every year. What have I begun to put my hope in that's flimsy, that's, that's just not going to last, that's just not going, that can easily be taken away, right? We, want, we don't want to be putting our hope in things that we can lose quickly because then there goes your hope. 
So what are you putting your hope in today? And can you ask the Holy Spirit, will you help me to uproot my hopes in those flimsy things and to put it the only place where it's solid, which is Jesus? All other ground is sinking sand, right? He's the rock on which we build all of our lives, all of our hope. Let's run to him again this Advent and put our hopes in him. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you.